Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. Welcome to the Sanctum Zagorum Reading Room. Whether you're new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, tuning in to see how certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, or just want to know what bizarre factoid Bob might drop during a show, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these worlds. I am Bob, and with me tonight is Jen... Hello. Bob, you have some big news this week, we, don't you? Yeah, but you know, before we get started, there's a lot. There, well, maybe not a lot, but there's definitely a bit to talk about. Um, <laughs> both of us have uh, kind of, uh, I guess, time-sensitive things to mention, right? So um, the Dark Tower, the, the Dark Tower Kickstarter has gone live, which is Original Adventures Reincarnated number seven. And it's available for 5e. And for the first time, we have one of the Aura line is available for DCC. And it's really exciting. And uh, it, it is, it is, Dark Tower has eaten a lot of my head after uh, coming straight out of Devil Lich into that. So it's very exciting to have that going. And, uh, and hopefully, hopefully, folks are going to have a really good time adventuring through the creation of Janelle Jaquais and everything that has come since. But you have a lot of busy, busy, busy too, Jen. I, so. I, I was going to add, hopefully they'll have a great time going through it without having to have you run every single backer through it. Yeah, you know, it's it's been kind of strange. So I've been, I've been threatened with uh, having to run it for every single backer. Um, I've been threatened with deportation by the Dark Master. Um, although I wasn't really, I wasn't under, really under the uh, guise of a, of an offer, really. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't really uh, that opposed to that one. And now we're talking about buying a tall ship. So you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it, it's kind of with our theme for tonight. Uh, <laughs> that is very true. Completely not with our theme for tonight uh, is the convention schedule absolutely ramping up. Uh, next weekend, starting the 26th, is MomoCon in Atlanta. We also have uh, KublaCon starting on, I think it's Friday or Saturday of next weekend. Um, and the Dark Master will actually be there as a guest of honor. Uh, June 8th, well, sorry, 9th is the beginning of Origins in Columbus, Ohio. And hopefully we get a little bit of breathing room until Gen Con. No, I lied. Uh, RageCon in Reno is, I believe, the 23rd of June. So John Wilson's going to be busier than me. So, <sighs> but yeah. No, no um, rest, no sleep. So while I'm in town, Let's do a show. Yeah, and actually, I'd also like to uh, to welcome everyone that stayed on and hung out after uh, the No Class RPG cast with Eddie and Matt. Hopefully, you enjoyed that, and uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy us as well. If not, um, our you names are Mike and manager? Brendan. <laughs> Both of these are viable options. So tonight, we're going to continue our exploration of the Women of Appendix N with a return to the works of Margaret St. Clair and her 1967 novel, The Dolphins of Altair. And I'm really, I was really excited about this one. So why don't you tell us about it, Jen? They were three, two men and a girl, willing to sacrifice the earth to save the world below. There was a covenant between the land and the sea people, a covenant long forgotten by those who stayed on shore, but indelibly etched in the minds of others, the dolphins of Altair. Now that covenant had been broken. Dolphins were being wantonly sacrificed in the name of scientific research, their waters increasingly polluted, their number dangerously diminished. They had to find allies and strike back. 
allies willing to sever their own earthly bonds for the sake of their sea brothers, willing, if necessary, to execute the destruction of the whole human race. And this is a book where really, had they succeeded, I don't think I would have minded uh, the human race be- becoming How do you extinct. know they failed? At the end of the book, we are not extinct, uh, but, but humanity probably should have. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely left me with a, a, a Jericho feel to things. Exactly. Well, yeah. um, for, for those who are not familiar with Margaret Sinclair, she was born Ava Margaret Neely in 1911. And uh, for those trivia buffs, yes, she shared a birthday with Andre Norton, who was exactly one year older than Margaret St. Clair. She, uh, she was also um, technically a junior because her mother shared the same name. Well, look at, look at you from one junior to another. Ding. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, her first published science fiction story was Rocket to Limbo in the November 1946 issue of Fantastic Adventures and her first published horror story, which was also an example of ecological science fiction, sort of like tonight's story, was The Gardener, released in 1949. Uh, I'm not sure how I would compare St. Clair's horror writing to that of uh, Gertrude Barrows-Bennett, who we reviewed last month. No, very well. Um, it's almost not even apples to apples. No, because uh, Margaret Sinclair liked to write about ordinary people of the future surrounded by the gadgetry of super science, but who you know, surely know no more about the machinery works than present day motorist knows about the loss of thermodynamics, right? I mean, so it's, it's a very yeah. sort of different tale. It, her characters are normal people in extraordinary situations whereas last week we certainly had some extraordinary characters that were uh, that were going hard and uh, and and fast with with mexican gods yes uh, <laughs> with much different timing too uh, and and no just to correct I, i'm sorry sky two uh, it's actually rocket as in one noun uh, noun that you no, no, it's very metal. I'm, 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 I'm with Sky too. Uh, it's a, you know, it's just like my my new metal band. <laughs> my new metal band is Dolphins from Etsy. That's going to be my new metal band. And uh, I quit, and you're fired. Okay. Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, Saint Clair also wrote a Dunsany pastiche called "The Man Who Sold Rope to the Gnomes," or I'm sorry, to the Knolls, which is even more disturbing um now this particular book was published two years before shadow people right because shadow people is the second in the unofficial trilogy okay i i was confused on that because i could have sworn you said that this was the sequel no this was the prequel then well it's in which case that makes a little bit of sense it's a very i don't want to necessarily say it's a prequel the the entire the entire setup has been described as a as a loose unofficial sequel this this takes place the other takes place they're both in kind of northern california in the near future and uh, bad things are happening so there there's that right um, it, it, definitely taking place in the San Francisco area again. Yes, yes, def- most definitely. And um, Margaret Sinclair had a very interesting life. I mean, she she moved to California with her mother from Kansas after her father, who was Democrat Representative George A. Neely of Kansas, uh, when he passed away in 1915, she and her mother packed up and moved to California, and and that's that's kind of extreme. Well, you know, having been to Kansas, I'm pretty sure the state motto is "Welcome to Kansas." You must be going someplace else, um, or home of the great white nothing, right? I mean, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that, you've seen a tree. Yes, but but certainly certainly a bit of of culture shock, but but something that she wholly embraced. I mean, between meeting her husband, becoming friends with Raymond Buckland, and being initiated into Wicca by Buckland, there is she certainly made the most of of living in California, and and she was essentially writing till she died. Right, she just 
necessarily get everything published in time. Right. Uh, She actually reported in an interview. Excuse me. She actually reported in an interview in 1981 to be working on two novels that were never published. The Euthanasius, Euthanasiasts, that's a tough one, and The Once and Future Queen. Uh, So those never got published, but I should also note that her papers are archived at the University of California, Riverside. And that includes some unpublished works and manuscripts. I'd be really interested to see that. Now Uh, we just need to sell Joseph on a box set based on shadow people or sign of the laborers. Right. Come on, people, start start bugging Joseph. And, uh, okay, that probably won't, but, you know, but still. Uh, I mean, the cats are interested. Yes, Uh, yeah, that that is, if you hear him in the background, that's that's Vance, yeah. Of course, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, loud, well spoken, and uh, unintelligible. So now, I did have a question for you, though. Yes. Uh, her introduction to uh, to Wicca that mm-hmm. happened later in her life, right? That happened. Um, well, it happened. No, it, it it happened right around this time. I think she was she was in, starting to get involved in witchcraft in this period, and it actually shows with uh, with this, and especially with shadow people. Um, she by that point she had taken the craft name um, Franiga, I think. I think so. And uh, so she had, she had become involved in in Wicca, and those themes kind of carry through with her works, right? Where there's, and it's almost like casual commonplace magic appears in her work as it's not, it's not wizardry. It's not wizardry. It's, you know, like in in the shadow, in the shadow people, you know, while I'm grabbing some tea leaves or in, in, in uh, this one, there's psychometry. I just, you know, just make, make an appointment, go down and, and, uh, you know, see someone who, uh, Perform you know, psychometry, and uh, they will uh, they'll give you images. This is just matter of fact. Yeah. Well, um, now I ask because I read a review who claims that Margaret St. Clair's later works, like everything from the '60s and on, lose some of the nightmare urgency of her early work. And so I found it very interesting that if this is around the same time that she's uh, been introduced to the the Wiccan religion. Uh, has have she lost some of her, that? Uh, shall we say just nightmarish urgency <laughs> from everything else? Uh, it's interesting to see the parallel between the two changes in her life. Well, and admittedly, I haven't read too much of her earlier work. I've read some of her short stories. And and we've we've seen some of her stories that were uh, adapted for Rod Serling's The Night Gallery, um, and and right, yeah, the, but but even even those everything seemed to have everything that I have read, which again is not the the width and breadth of of her works, have had sort of a doomsday quality to it, yeah, you know, from the the boy who predicted earthquakes, uh, you know, to uh, sign of the laborists to, to this, everything is sort of things are bad and they're getting worse is a, is the general theme. I haven't, I haven't really seen kind of a, a nightmarish urgency. I haven't encountered that in the works that I've read, but I am more than willing to keep reading and, uh, and find more because the, her, her stuff is wonderful. I mean, I've read one story by Idris Seabright, one of her, first pen names and there was definitely um there was almost that horror feel to it and it it had a different just atmosphere and and pacing well and okay so so margaret sinclair had had the two two known pen names right idris seabright and wilton hazard but idris seabright almost enjoyed a parallel career with Margaret St. Clair, because Margaret St. Clair was still simultaneously publishing works under Margaret St. Clair while Idris Seabright was a thing. So it was a very um, Stephen King, Richard Bachman sort of thing, okay. right? These are, these are two separate people. Um, move along. There's nothing to see here. Just just read the, uh, the materials. All right, I'm moving, I'm moving. <laughs> Although, I mean, man, that really makes me wonder about 
the man who sold rope to the Knowles, like where would it fall on the spectrum of horror versus just, uh, blacks on death crawl? Uh- <laughs> well, I mean, kind of modern horror legend, Ramsey Campbell, uh, wrote an introduction to a collection of Margaret Sinclair's works where he said she enriched the fields in which she worked and she still can because her, her work really stands up. But he then went on to talk about how, while she was a pioneer in, in the field, most of the commentary she got, she had to sort of put up with the attitudes of the day. Right. I mean, the beginning of the synopsis, there were two men and a girl or, uh, or for, I believe it's the shadow people. Women can, uh, women can write science fiction. Um, there, there was, was, women can write science fiction too. Yeah, I, it's just, it, so there was, there was this kind of overarching theme that undercut a lot of her credibility at the time. And so Idris Seabright, if you look through the pulps, pops up more frequently than, than Margaret St. Clair did. Um, and yet there are through. no collections just of Idris Seabright's works where you can get compilations of like the Margaret St. Clair novels. Because Idris Seabright wasn't a real person. He was I really know. Margaret St. Clair. I know. <laughs> you don't find the Idris Seabright uh, material in those St. Clair collections. Not very often. That That's what I'm looking uh, at. I think I'm pretty it's, sure it's there's like a the complete get get forgotten unless they put out enough like Barrows Bennett did as Francis Stevens to have their own collection of works by. I'm not sure. I think there's, I think there's like a complete short stories of Margaret St. Clair out there that, uh, which might, I think it's wait, here's a callback for you. I think it's blue. Uh, (laughs) I I think it's blue. (laughs) We we as we first came across it on one of our one of our book shopping trips, I think we were on Fort Myers Beach. So Oh dear God. Okay, so that was a couple of anniversaries ago. Okay. I think it was I'll I think try it to was, find uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it had some weird seashells on it, but it was actually the works of Margaret St. Clair. Yes. Yeah. So well then okay. why don't we why don't we shift gears then and uh dive in to the dolphins fall there and i i've proposed the question to our our chat here um who actually read this month's title and so far we have two two people who will be on the same page with us that's probably pretty awesome (laughs) well you know it's it is a I say probably here. Let me caffeinate. <laughs> you know that that is as many people uh, as of this household, right? Has has read it, and uh, we read it at the same time. So Not we've this. doubled our numbers. Awesome. Exactly right. Oh my gosh! Um, now I I will say before we actually get into the story of the book that honestly, reading this, it felt similar to reading Lester Del Rey, like the same style of of sci-fi um like the the underwater alternate future and right attack from atlantis which is one that we actually reviewed in the sanctum Secorum episode number 32 um it's pacing it's tone um the language was still accessible and felt contemporary while still diving into some deeper concepts and I really felt like I was reading a continuation of that story at first, but honestly, man, I started this book and I really didn't know if there was anywhere else that we could go after the first like 30 pages. Well, that goal had been accomplished. (laughs) Well, we'll talking about connected, right? Since this has been described as, as part of a loose and unofficial trilogy and, and we've read the shadow people, which, which falls into that, arc um how connected did this feel worldwide not not necessarily the story oh, itself but, but the, the world people yeah um i mean i could see the two endings dovetailing fairly nicely after a couple of decades um 
like the the ending of Shadow People coming out with the the robot sentries and everything else, I could definitely see that as being an additional epilogue to this story. Yeah, to me, in a, in a lot of ways, the, the worlds definitely felt connected. And it was like um, the the protagonist and the shadow people, you know, he goes he goes into into the underworld. And when he comes up, things have changed. Well, it's like he went into the underworld and then this story happened. And and then we have sort of the government response to those things. Well, yeah, um, it couldn't have started uh, after. I mean, the shadow people could not have started after this book was done because there was no San Francisco. <laughs> right. Well, the, the waters receded a bit, but yeah. So, so let's, so, okay. So the main characters of our story, we have Madeline Paxton. We have the, the Dr. Lawrence, who's almost like the Dr. Smith character. You really don't know if you should trust him or not. And when you trust him, you shouldn't. And when you shouldn't and don't, you should have. bites you. Yeah. Um, there's Sven Erickson. And, and then we don't there's get a whole lot of background on him, except that he worked in the military. As, well, he, uh, he was essentially an EOD. Yeah, he was an EOD specialist serving serving in the in the uh, war in the Middle East. Because this right. this this book, if nothing, was uh, prescient of where America was going. Um, and then we have then we have dolphins. We have named we have Amtor, the historian dolphin, the narrator. And, we might add. yeah. And then we have Juna, the escaped military research dolphin. And, and then there uh, were two so others, others that were always with them. There, uh, yes. And yeah. And then we have, you know, we, we get into, you know, mated pairs and one's been kidnapped and one's killed. But all of this starts with, with Madeline suddenly losing her memory and essentially forgetting who she is. So she's sort of going through her life on autopilot. And so they send her to a psychiatrist, which is Dr. Lawrence, so that they can figure things out. And boy, the figuring out part is like a page and a half, right? And she's like, oh, I remember now. I've got to go. And and and, and you're off and you're running. And, and she is running off to the right. beach to meet with dolphins because that's... But it, it's even better than that, Bob, for the people who haven't read it yet. Um, it starts with, hi, I'm your narrator. My name is Amtor. Um, because of all of the testing and all of the radioactive waters and everything, I have a hand on my chest without a thumb. Yes. So you have a mutant dolphin on page one. I'm like, we've already got stuff to stat up. This is perfect. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing you're writing about, because this book really does... Uh, heavily involve the U.S. military and the the various experiments and and things that's done with dolphins. Definitely um, demonizes the well, military. Well, I mean, the U.S. military started training dolphins in 1957, right? And it's the Reconnaissance and Interdiction Division of the Naval Information Warfare Center. And this um, was published uh, ten years after that. Mm -hmm. And they're they're the people that that still train you know dolphins and sea lion sea lions to like find things, remove mines, and back in the fifties and sixties, they were experimenting with them to do things like carry explosives. And as a warning, this novel has a uh, an unwilling dolphin suicide bomber. Uh, and that was that was a very disturbing. They weaponized thing. a dolphin. They cut out its tongue so it could not communicate with the others, and then they blew it up. They packed it full of explosives and put it on a timer and sent Are it to find other dolphins. Are you freaking kidding me? I, it was just so. I mean, between well, and, and, and in that scene, they said the the boat that they were in, the steering, you know, they suddenly lost their steering capability, and. After some stuff happened and they got back to the boat, I was like, there was zero mention when they got back to the boat of it not being able to steer anymore. So I, at first I was upset because I thought that was a, a plot hook or I'm sorry, plot hole. And then I realized, what if the doctor was just making up the fact that uh, he couldn't steer it anymore? Right, but, but actually they were taking on water. They eventually had to mm -hmm. abandon ship. After after the explosion, mm. but but that kind of gets back to yeah. to how 
how many real themes this story takes in. We've got, we have, you know, the U.S. military weaponizing dolphins. Then we have, you know, fighting wars in the Middle East. Uh, we get we get rising sea levels, the government ignoring disasters. Uh, really, <laughs> really. Um, that part made me a little sick to my stomach. This book is so 2020. Um, but but so we have we have the characters called together by this this psychic call from the dolphins that only a very small percentage of of humans can hear and the dolphins one by one ferry them out to this rock in the sea where the dolphins are explaining how how they're being held dolphins are being held captive they're being experimented on there's radiation in the water something's got to be done and so dr lawrence Dr. Lawrence, our psychiatrist, our man of stability, essentially says, well, it's time to wage war on humanity and kill them all. And, and that was a real, that was a real eye-opening moment for me there with the, with this character, right? Uh, just, everyone else is like, well, I don't know if we should do this. And he's like, nope, I'm going to be the realist. Why are uh, you if, letting your morality get the best of you? If you don't kill them first, they're going to kill you. And, and so, they they come up with a with a plan and their plan is to trigger a major earthquake off the california coast to shatter the concrete walls and free the dolphins from the research center and which involves sven having to go procure some roofies or um drugs that will make somebody uh receptive to hypnosis yeah that that's the way we're gonna put it um and then he had to go trick one of his old work buddies and no, no. he had to go drug one of his old work buddies. There, yeah. was, there, was, there was no trick. He, he, uh, trying, he slipped I'm him, trying. he slipped him a Mickey, uh, you know, wandered and then took him his home. ID so that he could go on, on base and grab one of these mines that can yeah, be grabbed, grabbed, you know, uh, an anti-ship yeah. mine that dropped were into one of the it. trenches near the fault line. Yes. Which and so the whole idea was knew. to trigger the, the San Andreas fault. And, and nobody and really realized that that's where a whole bunch of nuclear waste had been left. And because that's <laughs> that's also something else that we do is just drop waste into the ocean. So like you do as stupid humans. Yes, I get it. <laughs> uh, we, we do have a question. And, and it's it, I think it is very accurate when there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, a lot of modern conspiracy theories certainly... Are, are fact in this in this book right um and so the question is would you say this book fits into the new wave of sci-fi um i i would i would go so far as as to say that this is sort of like the crest of the riptide of sci-fi really it, i mean it's it, no longer uh, speculative fiction in in some parts right no, it's it, we it's, have fulfilled its destiny. It's this. This is <laughs> All cognitive is fiction at this point. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, if if uh, frogs can be born with their eyes inside their mouths, I'm sure there's a dolphin somewhere with some sort of rudimentary flipper off its, now, uh, off the, its part, chest. the part that I found really interesting at the beginning is that Dr. Lawrence's first quote unquote view of the dolphin's existence was from. Mrs. Casson, the, uh, what did you call Psychometrist. her? Psychometrist. Yes. Thank you. Uh, when she had this vision, he, he went to her because he was looking for the missing girl. And the response he got was totally unexpected because the, the woman's vision was of a ship on the water. And she started humming a, a sailing song. And then the ship was sprouting leaves and vines and, and there was, the god in the middle and she was terrified and then the pirates threw him into the water but the sweet sea beasts bore him up he played the lyre and rode safe on their backs to corinth this is straight from dionysus which makes a lot of sense when you remember the fact that mrs st Clair had a master's degree in greek classics yes and and this this really sort of follows if you want to look at it this is almost a greek tragedy in a lot of ways but so so we have we, we have the so. plan now right we are going to wage war on humanity and but we're going to do it on a timetable so we minimize casualties so we're going to set off the bomb at 6 p.m 
on no it was, uh, like, on, no, it was, it was the bomb was set off at 6 p.m on sunday because that sunday way the night, tidal yeah. wave would strike between midnight and one when people That's wouldn't right. be downtown working so it was it was a very thoughtful right it was a very thoughtful <laughs> attempt at at war and uh immediately dr lawrence disappears he has he has second thoughts uh, and, uh, yeah. and he goes and he apparently spills everything because the next we know the military is bombing pods of dolphins near Hawaii. And, and when they go back to the rock for their rendezvous point, they're strafing the rock. Yes. Uh, it, 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 killing Amtors. Uh, killing mate. many of the dolphins that were joyously bouncing along. And, Released and from the from the testing free, facility. Freedom, freedom, da, 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 bomb and dead. And then what was that show, uh, Mr. Hell? The- yeah, yes, yes, it was. It was a very Mr. Hell moment. Alas, I am but a dolphin, and uh, and then in in what I thought was probably the most sinister action taken by the U.S. military, when the when uh, Madeline has been injured, the dolphins have have called Doctor Lawrence back to them to to take care of her. They don't really trust her yet, and then. The military starts dropping foam, this this thick, high-rising foam that goes like two or three feet and starts expanding. It fills the entire San Francisco Bay Area. And, and the dolphins are trying to leap up higher and higher to get out of it, but they're the moving point like molasses. Is, yeah, the whole point is they can't breathe foam and so the entire surface is being covered so that they will be smothered and that was as an asthmatic that was a little harsh too it was so sinister and i immediately thought well yeah that's that's what we would probably do in a case like that that's uh they just yeah that's that is that is a very military mindset (laughs) dr lawrence said i used to know how to uh how to get rid of this at least in this general area but i can't remember and so maddie who's been sorry she's referred to as madeline or madeline like sobo oh they they call her a lot of maddie moonlight and sosa uh which was a callback to one of their old dolphin heroines of of legend um so at this point she's beginning to be sosa and she's while she was sick, she was in basically a fugue state or coma, comatose state, really. And now she's poking into the doctor's brain and trying to get him to remember. And they finally realize, oh, just, well, yeah, just, yeah, just like anybody that's ever seen an oil spill, right? It's just a lot of detergent, and that's what they do. They dump a lot of detergent, but but the result, right? Normally, you right. put detergent in, and things start to, you know, like oil starts to break up, and instead they throw all the detergent in, and then the foam in a giant sheet lifts up off the water into the air, and then is gone. That was your sci-fi moment. That was that, that, that was, was a weird cool. moment. That was a that was a, a very but, weird but moment. It, it was a, a cool like, yeah. Tony Hogard says thoughtful apocalypse. Yeah, so so you know, so the dolphins declare war on humanity nicely. Humanity has uh, has responded. Actually, just the U.S. military. Nobody else in the world seems to know, but nobody else has been attacked yet. But the U.S. And well, so, meanwhile, we have Sven who was one of the the main characters, one of those two men and a girl. uh, Who barely appears in the book. He had been communicated with uh, by the dolphins as well via their, oh shoot, what do they call it? Um, The the method of it was like the ESP udana or something and and it, by this uh, point in the book he's now missing he's absent for like two-thirds of the right book. he and one of the primary dolphins are missing and what we don't know is that when dr lawrence had his momentary uh, lapse that what he did resulted in sven being captured yep so and sve- tested but so so Sven's <laughs> locked away. Sven, Sven's locked away. The doctor is now back on the side of the dolphins. The dolphins really aren't on the side of Dr. Lawrence. Madeline is is drifting in and out of fugue states. Attacks are continuing. 
And so Dr. Lawrence, in all of his wisdom, decides, you know what we need to do? We just need to really up the ante. Let's just melt the polar ice caps and wipe out half of humanity. And so that's what the dolphins set out to do. And Amtor makes, makes the mistake of saying, I used to know how to do this, but I don't anymore. But I know one of the... Well, no, Amtor just said, I know, I've heard of a device that can do this. And right. there is an ancient dolphin. Right, one who, of our elders. Know how this how this works. Great, and great, so, great aunt. And so they and, and so <laughs> down by Baltimore, California, on their hero's journey to build a doomsday device to wipe out a couple billion people. This is dun, 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 dun. Who, who probably deserve it. So, 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 and, and they. They they probe they probe into her mind in, into this dolphin's mind and that's not working and so Madeline with all of her strange connections at this point while she is a human mentally she is more dolphin right than human and shortly after we kind of discover what's going on but she just has this thought since she's been wounded she cuts open her wound and starts bleeding again reminding the ancient dolphin of when they saw something like that happen. And they're like, oh, well, this is what you, this is how you build it. You need this, 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 you need platinum wire. You need a, a, a prism made of lead. Weird psychic memory there. And it's, it's all very, very, you know, fairly simply to source, except for the way it's powered. And she doesn't know how that's powered. So, okay. So we'll build a doomsday device. And then what are we, how are we going to do this? And by now, the dolphins start explaining about Altair. <laughs> now I'm going to go back to the first point that I had to make that after they set off the nuke in the water, well, it wasn't, it wasn't a nuke. Fault, it was, it was, it was an anti-ship mine. It was not a nuke. The dolphins, uh, well, the dolphins kind of turned into that with all the nuclear the, Right. Waste. But the dolphins were horrified because of course the radiation in the water is mm-hmm. bad for them. They were not trying to add that. Um, but after that, there really wasn't anywhere to go. There, I, It seems like we're just still kind of in the same feeling until things escalate to the point where, you know, they start sending subs out looking for them. They start sending submarines and every well, Navy the, the, vessel the starts subs, harrowing them. The, the subs didn't come until after they had built the device. And that's when they got... They were cornered underneath in the in the underwater. Oh, they had cave. one already. Correct. That's right. That was a really weird skip in time. Yes. So so but the dolphins. Everything explain, is told from the point of the view, uh, the point of view of the dolphins, and very often you get. And Maddie told me later that this yeah. is what happened. <laughs> it was a very. You get a lot of that, and not nearly enough of. Eh, 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 eh. Anyway, um, so so the dolphins explained that. Because, because they've been they've been talking about this covenant and and finally well what is this covenant well it's a poem it's a poem yeah but it's also kind of a dance it's kind of a dance and a living and thing and it, and it's a living thing and 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 parts of it haven't happened yet they're like what do you mean and they explain oh, because, that the humans yeah. which they call splits because their tails are split right we have legs and it's always with a capital s it's almost yes. like a, a racial slur or something but well it, uh, is, it is it is a <laughs> racial term at least yeah. um that the dolphins and the humans are all descended or engineered from the same race on altair and on altair the society is partially aquatic water flows in and out of their cities, but there was growing movements on either side to be just in the water or just in the land. And so these groups were engineered to be one or the other and came to earth. And the covenant was that the water belonged to the people of the water, the land belonged to the people of the land, and you wouldn't go killing each other. And well, we see how well humanity kept that part up, but the people yeah. of the land, when they arrived, nearly died out. And so those that had made the first covenant were nearly extinct when they started interbreeding with the other races that were emerging on Earth, the other the other primates. And, and so that carried through, and then there was the second covenant. And, and, and so Which they're like, almost oh. a prophecy. 
Yeah, well, in the third well, it was certainly open-ended. was open-ended. Yeah. yeah, and then it was okay. So we need to find the power cell to work this ancient Altarian technology. I know. Let's link a human mind and a dolphin mind and call Altair. Well, because Sosa could use that ability now. Yes, she, but I just want to point. Use the Udra uh, across just so many light years. Just gonna let's just call oh, Altair. <laughs> Oh, it's more than six. No, no, it was. It, it was it sixteen was, light years. I thought. Oh no, Altair is much, much further than sixteen light years. It was, yeah. Um, it they was. Said it, oh, the oh. light, the light takes sixteen years to get to us, is what they were saying, at least in the book. Yeah, maybe it, not it, in science. But it's just it, it, that moment to me. That was a rough moment for me. That was um, in in the suspension the, uh, the, of disbelief. In the second Star Trek movie, where they're like, we can transport people anywhere in the universe. We don't really need starships. That was that moment for me, right? I'm like, yeah, hang on a second. And I, I do have a question for, for both you and the audience then. Go right ahead. Was there a redeeming factor? What, to the phone call? Um, <laughs> to the... To the uh, to the suspension of disbelief were you able to set it aside again i i just had to i just had to get i i had to get past it for me that was very very jarring um because i mean the dolphins can barely talk to a human on earth and now a human and dolphin mind are reaching across the cosmos to carry on a conversation with like technical depth and they Uh, were waiting for them Yes, and the, and they the were hiding, were and they were and they were hiding behind a like a a ship. How they call it? Um, it was oh, that's right. Now those minds impressed our single consciousness as a wavering, patterned brightness. It seemed to advance and withdraw continually. When Madeline and I discussed this later, we agreed that the minds of the Altair's planet had been afraid of distressing their duad visitor and that they had hidden from it something of what they were under this image of fire. So they join minds and they reach across the stars and they talk to fire. And fire says, oh, this is really easy to do. You just need this and this. It'll power the device and uh, and it will generate heat until it, it uh, melts the Stops platinum. Stops generating heat, yeah. Yeah, well, and then they have this big discussion on we want to do it gradually versus all at once because if you do it all at once, it's going to make it hard for the dolphins to breathe because it's going to uh, dilute well, the salination it, of the water. It's going to and- it's going to make the dolphins uncomfortable. It's going to cause tragedy. But of course, you know who's let's face it, who's having this discussion? So you've got Madeline, you have Sven because Sven is back by this time, and you've Yay. got the dolphins. Now the other side, you've got Doctor Lawrence. Is like, nope, just do it fast, pull it off like a band aid, kill them all. And what this convers- is your malfunction? Doc? And this conversation comes to a head after their boat has been sank. They're hiding in an underwater cave with the submarine going back and forth outside. And then he and Sven and Maddie end up joining minds with the power of Udra to change the mind of the gunner. Yes, and thus kill everybody on the sub. And they felt a little bit bad about that, but they knew it had they to be really done. They really shouldn't have. They really shouldn't have. Uh, and so they're like, "Okay, so now I we've mean... got a so now we've got a plan." And hey, hey guys, um, we've we've got like three or four of these devices. We've got a plan. Where's Doctor Lawrence? And wouldn't you know, Doctor Lawrence is gone. Doctor Lawrence has you know takes off with the devices, and so now again, has he betrayed them? Is is he is he going to bring the navy to them? No, he's just going to try and end humanity. No, I I have to break for a moment and defer back to our our fans. Um, Sky2 says, this all sounds genuinely odd. And Kate says, the book was very trippy. At this point, I have to say, everything in the book just came to a standstill. And even the dolphins were uneasy. And the humans were just trying to make the best of it. And they said it was the strangest, but yet most peaceful 40 hours. It was quite literally the calm before the storm. And as a implanted Floridian, I can attest to the fact that it felt exactly like 
you've done everything you can, but you hurricane's just have coming. To wait for it. You have Nothing to let it happen. Yeah, and, and and it really that is shook me. That well, that that part was hard emotionally to get through for me. Well, and and like Tony Hogarth is pointing out, it's it's sort of like a party of PCs where the judge will let them try anything. I think it's really more like a party of PCs with with a judge that keeps pushing back against everything they do. Well, we're going to do this, okay? But if you do that, then I'm going to come back ten times as hard. It's 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 we like an adventure run. Game. Yeah, it's <laughs> like an adventure run by a confrontational. Uh, a GM who's just going to keep upping things to punish punish your thoughts. Um, we want we, we want to free dolphins. Again. Well, you can't free the dolphins because they're behind ten foot of cement walls, and there's armed marines with machine guns marching the walls between the water and the dolphin tanks. Well, that's right. kind of odd, but okay. So, um, so we're, we're we want to blow this up. Well, you can't just blow it up. They're really big. Okay, so we'll cause an earthquake. Okay, I can't get around an earthquake. But now we're going to bomb no, it- random pods of dolphins in the ocean because we can see them. You know, we know they're there. And it just, it, it ramps up. I will uh, say that the, the heist really did feel like a heist. It, it was the, yes. Oh, the yes. bomb it- heist. That there went was, off wonderfully. There was there was a real suspense to that. Yeah. But, yeah. but now we get to okay, so um, Dr. Lawrence is going to start melting the polar ice caps. Maybe, and the dolphin's like, you know, maybe we should tell someone. You know, we we again thoughtful, thoughtful apocalypse. Let's not just kill everybody. Let's just put them underwater and give them. And really, the whole idea was, if the water levels are going up, humanity's got bigger problems. They'll leave us alone. And so and, two of the humans and two of the dolphins join their minds in the Udra and reach out to Washington. Trying and to find the president. They find, they sift through all of these voices and they finally find, I think it was five individuals. Three. They narrow it down to three of, who are like really bossy. <laughs> they're, they're bossy, but they have kind of a, a conscience of what needs to be done for the people. and they they went with one person who was the not the president (laughs) secretary of welfare it was the secretary of welfare who then goes on tv saying everybody you know bad things are going to happen evacuate the coasts and they cut him off (laughs) they pull the plug the network cuts him off yeah so and and then you know a million and a half people later Oh, far oh. more than that. But but wait. And that's just on right, the East Coast. But that was that was the first warning. Humanity got two warnings. And the second warning, I thought, was the more interesting one. Because the storms the, that came up? No, Dr. Lawrence, because of his mm. cold feet the first time, he had told a naval admiral, the admiral took it very seriously. And humanity did things like, well, let's just drop another bomb down there and see if that would really cause an earthquake. So there's another earthquake. Except this time it's it's proven you know, the story storm. right. And so, so, so he's doing everything he can to kind of undo that. And so finally he, he does this, this last minute confession of it was all me. I did this. I made these things up and I see disaster is to come. And he leaps out of a building to his death. I, yeah. He specifically misses all the nets that have been put down. Yes. He lets them take the time to send up negotiators and psychiatrists. Yeah, knowing he's going to jump. Let's say Dr. Lawrence is a bit of a dick. He's just wasting people's time just because he can't at this point. Uh, but but yeah. it's it's that he'd moment. he already right? set the, the uh, devices into motion. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just was... a matter of time. That, that was his moment. He was going to do this. And hopefully that would that would take all the attention off of dolphins because people were kind of mad that the United States government was bombing dolphins. They thought that was kind of odd. And, and then the the storm, the the super hurricanes come. And the first sign there's trouble is well, you know, everybody in Washington's busy because of the flooding of Alaska. What do you mean? Alaska's under 15 feet of water. Wait, what it just the flood happens and these massive tidal waves and storms and our and little it, party is in ensenada to begin with just on the inside of like the the baja california area and, and they start noping their way out of there real fast and yeah they they try to go up toward um 
think it was they were going to try to go up towards uh, Taiwan or something. They well, were going hard northwest to try to get away well, from they, it. And then well, they bank northeast after all of the storms. Right. Well, and then you've got, you know, they, they have to separate. You know, dolphins, mm-hmm. good luck. Take the waters. We've got to find high ground because they had found some high some high ground. This island that jutted way up out of that the water, rock, yeah. And and normally it was like a hundred foot spire, and there was like twenty feet of rock sticking out of the water, and they nearly didn't make it. And they're like, we can't do that again. We've got it. We've got to get back. And they the dolphins get them back to North America because that's where they want to go. I don't know if the North American government and military were trying to kill me, I'd go to Europe. But they go back to America. Somebody, somewhere else, some other country. I, I, I wonder if it was a uh, the desire to just see what's left of your homeland or something. But at that point, you can turn around and leave, right? Well, and and so Why then would we you stay. We we see. I mean, this this whole thing plays out like visually. The visuals are. Uh, are sort of like one of the what was it like uh, twenty was it like twenty twelve like those real apocalyptic movies that are like well you know the title the ti- the four hundred foot tidal wave that <laughs> that covers the world while the moon is crashing in I mean things get bad oh yeah we lost half of California like the outside half of California and all of Florida New York was under forty feet of water yeah Still, Florida was gone the east the east coast went there were you want to talk about you mentioned Jericho earlier there are two people claiming to be the president one backed by the army one backed by the air force and yeah. and so I mean everything has fallen apart so the dolphins were none, right you know, none of the navy though the navy has no no power here which makes me just howl in laughter well you know, I don't know if they, they didn't have they any power they just so bad they, they just they didn't pick a dog in that particular hunt I think um but but yeah the dolphins were right um you flood the world and we've got bigger things to worry about than bombing pods dolphins mm. and then we got to for me what was the second you've got to be kidding me strains credulity moment and that is you mean the the friendly old npc not the friendly old npc you know that was they they found they found a survivor he's telling them how to get to the refugee camp and that's great no the guy in the helicopter which is alternately referred to as a helicopter or a plane who picks them up and then finds out their names and begins taking them elsewhere because he is the last person in the United States intelligence uh, machinery that knows who they are and is actively looking for them. And he just happened to find them as survivors. Uh, that now, the, the part that strained my my grasp of, or, or my my willingness, I should say, to just take this as it all goes was the morning that they were at friendly old NPC's house. They awoke early in the morning to see the guy standing at the window and watching something. And then there was a loud crash from a ways off and he stood there watching it for a little bit and then went back to lay on the sofa. Oh, that was the plane plane had crashed. No, there's nothing we can do for them. So, you know, well, Just I mean, let it burn. And I, to be fair, he's, he's right. right. <laughs> while he's right, and nobody was going to make him move from his fruit farm, uh, which tells me he, there's definitely half of California left. Well, and he really um, wasn't a. Let's let's be honest. He wasn't a friendly NPC. He was a. Not entirely. He was a. He was, he was a. He was a vaguely tolerant NPC. He he was a begrudging NPC, uh, but just the yeah, let it burn. I'd be a little bit more concerned about my orchard. <laughs> well, it was it was quite it was quite a distance away, and normally, right? If this was California, oh, you, that's true. It's all flooded. Someone, it's all wet. Someone, okay. someone, you know, flicks a cigarette, and, and half of California normally burns. That's but exactly with half of California was. underwater, there's rain everywhere. Everything is everything is quite damp. So he was probably I, I've been conditioned. It was, it was not a. It was not really a a, a fire concern. You see where I was coming from on that one. Yeah. Uh, but but so I mean that's yeah, that's sort of our one, wind down, right? Is okay. Well, um, yeah. now humanity is is in deep trouble, and uh, we've killed the last person who knows about us, who mysteriously found us somehow, and, and then uh, we burned the helicopter and him so that no one would know that we forced him to shoot himself. Yeah, 
and, yeah. and then I I really apologize, Sky Two. There's spoilers. Um, I'm <laughs> I I'm almost not sorry. Uh, the, the, the the book's the like 55 thing. years old. I I think we're allowed to spoil. I mean, the, but the whole thing you just you take it as a given that dolphins are there. Dolphins can communicate with humans, and poor Madeline still doesn't have her memory back. All she well, knows is this life with dolphins. Well, no, she uh, bits and pieces come back. She has she has that moment once she remembers the covenant, but then but then we kind of wind down, right? Okay, so we've we've uh, caused a major earthquake. We have survived the foam war with the U.S. Navy. We've destroyed a sub. We've melted the polar ice caps in the span of hours, and wiped out a, a, about a billion people on the planet Earth. Uh, dolphin, Dionysus was right. Yeah, dolphins are like, well, you know, the water, the water is not as salty as it was, so it irritates our skin, but but it's not as radioactive anymore. Well, that's great for the dolphins. And again, if, if there was ever a book where humanity should lose, it was this one. But we then we get to this wrap-up, which is, well, and now you know, we still have yet yeah. to have this, this perfect fusion of dolphin and human to kind of recombine into, into what the Altarians were, which apparently they're not now because you know, they project fire. Um, but the covenants still haven't been completely written, and there's still time. Yeah, you know, and so I, it ended on a halfway hopeful note for the dolphins. Well, I, I just want to, you know, she went to Berkeley. <laughs> she went to Berkeley. There was probably a, a lot, a lot of hallucinogens uh, prior to the writing of this book. I mean, this this book gets uh, <sighs> genuinely odd. It's not a bad book. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the book for what it was. Um, the again, parts the, with Dr. Frank or Dr. Lawrence, or was it Franklin Lawrence. No, they actually gave his first name Tom or something. Um, they almost seem to be the most credible of all of them because you get the real life crap. Like, well, in order to not be found, um, I went ahead and emptied my bank account in case the, the Navy or the military was watching and was going to put a hold on that. And then, you know, he was called down to make sure that she would be healthy and, and safe after being shot. And so he bought a boat in cash with that money. And back in the 60s, that wasn't that big of a deal. Trading it in the same day and buying a bigger one. Well, he didn't do that the same deal. day. That was well, no, was but, a but the later, same but... day transaction of selling and buying the boats and all that. Your Dr. Lawrence was was sort of like the living embodiment of the internet comments, right? You know, <laughs> I have a problem with this person. Let's kill him. Wait, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. No, no. What we're going to do is we're going to kill him, his family. We're going to burn down his house and his neighborhood so they don't come after you. Are, uh, are don't you... you think that's a little extreme? What are you, a wussy? I mean, just seriously. I mean, if oh, there was Pax, you you are you are correct. Lawrence Berkeley Laboratories. Yeah. Yes, and I I I did use that pronunciation. Sorry. Um, I know we're speaking of wrap ups. We're probably about at our time. Elena has been very but, very patient with us. But, but yeah, you know, that's that's I, a really good point. It probably is where Dr. Lawrence gets his his name just, and quite possibly where Margaret St. Clair got her hallucinogens. I'm um, I'm so torn because when I read this book, I was like, man, that was okay, that was a lot. That was heavy. That was when I read this book, when I finished this book two nights ago, I thought I liked it a lot more than I do right now, Bob. See, I, <laughs> see, I, I liked the book. But parts of this book really do show you that, yes, Margaret St. Clair not only wrote horror, but weaves those themes in. I mean, again, the scene with the dolphin bulges sticking out of it in weird places because they've loaded it with explosives. I mean, there are just some truly horrific scenes in this book mm -hmm. that... Uh, and there are some scenes of great urgency, like Madeline just saying keep going, keep going. We cannot slow down. I don't know why, but we cannot slow down right after the bomb was dropped. Yes, because Madeline is sort of like the plot urgency detector, right? It's yeah. all of a sudden she's like, we got to go. We got to go. The dolphins are like, why? We should have detected something. She's like, we got to go. We got to go. Bomb, bomb, bomb strafe. Um, and yeah, she's the, the like the precog, the un unknowing precog. 
Yeah, and and I think uh, looking looking at the uh, the trash can, I'm fairly certain the name is short for King Ghidra. Um, put puts the coincidences down to kind of the pacing of the book, and the book is kind of short, and so a lot of things do happen quickly, and so so that but is man, that is part some of it. Fantastical stuff going on. So as far as comparing it to Shadow People, um, you know, I almost feel like Shadow despite- People. Despite the, the fantastical elements of this, like dolphins communicating. Um, well, that's I, not really that fantastic. The no, fantastic no, part but, is dolphins speaking English. Like the Udra and, and the, yeah. the mind meld sort of stuff. But there are some fantastical elements, but there's also some sci-fi elements to it. And I felt like the shadow people those fantastical things were even more pronounced because you've and got they were, the, and they were mostly separate. The real, I yeah. mean, there was the, there was the mundane, Oh yeah. You know, we can tell the future um, that was taken yeah. for granted. And then there's the weird fantasy stuff and there's the weird sci-fi stuff and never the twain do meet. And, uh, and, and so, yes, there is, there is definitely a difference. There is a, a difference in tone, wonder, feel, and pacing. Especially with the shadow people, it makes me wonder if she wrote those sections at different points in her life and just decided to tack them on as like the epilogue. I don't. I don't think They're that's almost the case. But on, I mean, thematically speaking, if you take out the main characters, they're not related whatsoever. They could no, have well, been the the ending of that could have been the ending for this. Um, yeah, in, in a lot of ways. Well, the. So shadow shadow people kind of ends with that that moment of enlightenment, and I I forget the the name of the third book in in the quote unquote series, but uh, but it also yeah. is supposed to end with that that same sort of ooh moment um, of mm-hmm. of enlightenment. So okay. it, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to say overall, but. It's not a it's not a bad book. It is um I would say I enjoyed Shadow People more than I enjoyed the Dolphins of Altaire. Tony although, agrees with you. Although I think the Dolphins of Altaire is very, very gameable, right? I mean you, you want to talk about MCC and the great disaster and how it came about. Well, apparently Dolphins got pissed off and dropped a you know an anti-ship mine in, in America. Uh, Hey, read. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. So, um, going from from crazy, maybe maybe we should look towards next month and see what we're going to read next month. And, uh, and so, the and, the way I would like to ask this question. Oh, don't forget if you're watching, you can put the poll up there. Uh, click on your little down arrow to expand it and place your vote. Um, these choices are very similar to those that we presented last month. With the addition of Miriam Allen DeFord, who wrote Xenogenesis, uh, Tales of Space and Time in 1969. Well, it's it's actually a collection of stories from 46 to 68. Oh, thank um, you. And then we've got uh, Zena Henderson, who was a Hugo winner um, with her, with her uh, people stories. Uh, of course, there's C.L. Moore, Jurel of Jor- uh, of Jory, who was the first female sword and sorcery protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's kind of a big deal. And then, of course, Jen's favorite, Lady Margaret Cavendish, with the trippy, trippy, trippy 1666 story, uh, was the Blazing World. Yeah. Oh, we have a. Oh shoot, we didn't put that in there for for long enough. Oh, but but Sky too contributed points to it. Uh, Sky, which one did you vote uh, vote for? It's so quick, you and I didn't get a chance to vote. Well, that's all right. Yeah. I got what I, I got what I wanted this time. Uh, yep, Sky, Sky, which one were you voting for? You put in because since you points. put the channel points in there, you'll be our tiebreaker. I mean, I was kind of gonna go for more just so I could. Listen no, 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 jump, no, 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 CL more. Yes, I know, uh, but but we have a tie between two. Let's not add a third. Zena, Zena Henderson. So we are awesome. going to read Pilgrimage, the Book of the People, which was and, uh, released in 1961. I am really digging on this series that we're doing here in the Sanctum Sacorum reading room because we're digging into the women of Appendix N, of which there are three, and we have covered them all, as well as other women of the genres, including their influences. So like last time we went back another 
generation to hit 1917 with the creator of the dark fantasy. And I just discovered Zena Moore, not too, I'm sorry, Zena Henderson, not too long ago. And really greatly enjoyed a short story that I read of her. So I, I'm looking forward to digging into this one. Yeah, I haven't read anything Yay. by Zena Henderson. I had never Thank heard you, of Zena Henderson, so it's it's quite exciting. And then you found her in our garage. <laughs> well, I, I found I, I, I want to be clear. I found a yeah, book in sorry, our garage. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I was not. I was not great. I am not a member of Skull and Bones. I was not out raiding graves. Uh, Whoopsie Daisy. At least uh, yeah. not that of Zena Henderson. <laughs> Met what I knew. <laughs> So, so that will be, that will be our next show, which should be really, uh, I think the way we should have asked this question was what book do you want to hear Bob rant about next week or or next month? (laughs) I do not rant. I do not rant. I pontificate. I, 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 I sternly pontificate. I angrily pontificate. Uh, Last month I was over the moon. I'm like, I really like this book. Let's see how Bob feels. Loved. Oh my God. I love this this book. I liked it, but I thought I liked it more. (laughs) I thought I liked it more than it, than my psyche realizes it now. So um, So sorry for ranting too. Our our next show is Tuesday, June 21st at 9 PM. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you folks then, if you are, uh, if you're listening to it later, you can always uh, join us for our next show, hop onto the Goodman games, Twitch channel and, uh, and chat at us live or continue to listen to us from afar. That is, that is fine too. Jen is going to drop a link into the, uh, the chat on where the book is available. And we'll put that into the uh, Sanctum Sacorum show notes when that goes and we release the audio. So Jen, do you have any final thoughts or words? Um, June 21st, you say I should have a voice back by then. It'll be a week after I get back from origins. So. We, okay. We so okay. For, for the next show, everyone wear <laughs> headphones, turn your volume up just in case, and I'll oh, sit no. three or four feet back from the mic and we'll be fine. So until then, everyone. <laughs> and thank you to Elena. Yes. Be inspired. Good night, everyone. Sanctum Sacorum Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.